The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles with me tonight. Let's go to the book of Luke in chapter number 20, please. Luke chapter number 20. Uh, We're going to pick up reading in verse number 9. And here on Sunday nights, we've been uh, making our way through the book of Luke uh, a little bit segment by segment and verse by verse. And here we're going to read verse number 19. We're going to, or verse number 9 down through verse number 19 here tonight. And uh, we, a couple weeks ago, came into this book of Luke, uh, beginning with verse number 1. And and consider Jesus' authority as he's entering into Jerusalem. And uh, here tonight, picking up in verse number 9, the Bible says this, Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it uh, forth to husbandmen, and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty." And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. And again, he a third, sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be, um, it may be they will receive him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, uh, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And uh, when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected. The same has become the head of the corner. Whoso shall f- fall upon the stone shall be broken. Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken. But whomsoever it shall fall, it will uh, grind him to powder. Verse number 19. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, and they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Our Father, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for your love and goodness in our life. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house once again here today, and for the services you gave us this morning, and for uh, the uh, word that we were able to, to learn this morning, and uh, not only through our, our, our services, but also the Bible study hour. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our guests that we've had this morning and tonight as well. And Lord, I ask now that you would just uh, bless our time together in your word. Give me the word to speak as a deliver your message here this evening, and uh, that you'd be glorified through it all. We pray that you'd be with the uh, group of the, for the Disciple Veterans Meeting down the way this evening as well, and uh, that uh, it would be a time of encouragement and help to them as well. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that you do, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have known the name Elizabeth Barrett, but she was a 19th century English poet, and she grew up with a father that actually forbade her from being able to marry. In fact, uh, he forbade his, his 12 children, both the boys and the girls, to marry uh, in their lifetime as well. But at the age of 40, uh, Elizabeth Barrett met someone and decided to go against her father's will, and she uh, married a fellow poet named Robert Browning, and one week later after that, left for Italy and uh, never to uh, really have any communication with her father again. Her father never forgave her. Um, He never communicated with her. In fact, Elizabeth 
Elizabeth Barrett would write uh, letters to him asking for forgiveness, asking for a reconciliation of the relationship, and uh, weekly she would write them, and many times the pages would be stained with her tears as she would write them and send them off, but they were never answered. In fact, uh, 10 years after she had started doing that, she received every letter that she had ever sent returned back unopened. That's a sad sad thing to think about, isn't it? Letters of love, letters of compassion, letters of care, letters of uh, desiring to reconcile a relationship written and through tears written and never unopened, returned unopened. And just like Elizabeth Barrett's uh, unopened and returned letters, God's letters to Israel through his prophets were often often rejected as well. We read this parable that the Lord uses here, and as he speaks this parable, of course, we know that a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. It's a story that the Lord would use that everyone that was underneath the sound of his voice would be able to, uh, to comprehend and would be able to uh, kind of connect with, but there was a principle behind it, a spiritual principle, a heavenly meaning behind it, and Jesus, the Bible says here in verse number nine, began to speak the, to the people this parable. And so that's what Jesus is doing in the verses that we've read, most of them anyways. And while he's doing so, Calvary had to be on his mind. He's just a few days from the fact of being beaten and a few days from the time of being betrayed, a few days from experiencing uh, the spit on his face and the shame that would be brought to him, a few days from the time where they would beat him with a cat of nine tails, a few days from the time where they would drive that crown of thorns into his, into his brow, a few days before they would drive the nails into his hands and into his feet, and ultimately he would hang there dying on the cross. That's just a few days away, and so Calvary had to be weighing heavily on his mind. And although he's speaking to people, particularly in the temple, as Luke is writing this this story and he's relaying this narrative to us here, as we've read in verses 9 through 19 tonight, Luke clearly understood that the parable that was being spoken was directed solely and particularly, I should say rather, to Jesus' opponents. In fact, the Bible tells us about his opponents, that they were teachers of the law, and chief priest, as we've seen earlier in this passage as well. But as we look at the parable here this evening, and we consider the verse there in verse number 17, where Jesus says, What is this then that is written, the stone which the builders rejected? And as we consider that thought, that truth, the stone which the builders rejected, we find that this parable teaches how God's love was revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. As we've even discussed this morning, and I mentioned at the end of the message that John 3.16 so rightly displays the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And this parable again teaches that Jesus, the Son of God, is a demonstration and a display, a revelation of the love of God, but He is constantly rejected. He is constantly uh, pushed away and and not received by the people in which He desired to save and that He gave His life for. And so as we consider this thought of the stone which the builders rejected, I want us to notice, number one tonight, the love of God revealed. The love of God revealed. In verse number nine, again, we read, it says, and then began he to speak to the people, this parable, a certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. 
See, these men that Jesus was speaking to in the temple, we already said they were, had been said to have been teachers and, uh, and teachers of the law and chief priests. They would immediately recognize that this parable, using uh, the terminology of a vineyard, uh, was representative of the nation of Israel. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 5 and 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, uh, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. In Psalm 80 and verse number 8, it says, uh, Thou hast uh, brought a vineyard out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. And so in several locations in the Old Testament, the Lord refers to the nation of Israel as his vineyard. And as Jesus would use this parable and speak of a vineyard, those, of the, those that knew the, the Old Testament scriptures and those who were teachers of the law would have immediately understood that God was speaking about the nation of Israel. And as he starts out with this parable that a uh, man had a vineyard and he lent it out for a husbandman and such and so forth and then went off for, to a far country for a long time, they would begin to understand this, tonight, this, my friends, that God had blessed Israel. As we read through this, we start to find that there was some blessings that took place in this, in this vineyard. In fact, as he sent his servants, he asked for the harvest and uh, for what was reaped in the vineyard and such to be known. That means that there had been a harvest to be reaped, right? And so there was some blessings that had taken place. And as the, the vineyard functioned as a symbol for Israel, it functioned also as a symbol of Israel's privileged status as God's own people. Uh, we understand that God chose Israel to be his people. He called them the apple of his eye. The Abrahamic covenant, for instance, was a foundational covenant in God's relationship with his people. And it was a covenant that was eternal. And it was promised uh, in that covenant three things. As God made this covenant with uh, Abraham and to his people, he promised them a land. He promised them a seed, and he promised them blessing as well. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." In Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 60, uh, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee, it says, an everlasting covenant. So this was an eternal, an everlasting covenant, a promise that God had made with Israel. And my friends, we see that as God is revealing his love, he's reminding Israel over and over again that he had blessed them. God had been good to them. Now, my friends, I know that particularly those blessings and those promises aren't uh, directed to us as believers today. That was for the nation of Israel. But I know we can go on record as stating that God has been good to us today as well. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And uh, so we understand that the, the state in which Israel was in, and the blessings that they had received, and the goodness that was being poured out onto them, and the promises that God had made to them, He was going to keep them, and they were going to be an everlasting promise as well. And there's promises that God has made to us as well, and His promises never fail. His word never fails. And so we find that, uh, that as his love is displayed, uh, is revealed, we find his blessings over Israel revealed as well. 
But also we notice as we go through this parable that God had requirements for Israel. See, during the Exodus, God led the people directly with a pillar of uh, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? While they were being taken out of the uh, land of Egypt and God would lead them through that way. After that period, he didn't leave them alone either though. After they got onto the other side of the Red Sea and, and uh, began to follow his lead and come into the promised land eventually. After that period, he would lead them through kings as they begged him for. He would lead them through his word, through the priests and through, through the prophets that he would give them. And my friends, with God's blessing often comes an expectation for stewardship. Can I say that again? With God's blessing often comes an expectation for stewardship. See, the master here in the parable, he was away from his vineyard physically. He was not there to oversee all the operations. He didn't see everything daily as it was going on. But he had left some individuals, some, as the Bible puts it, husbandmen, some servants, some managers, some stewards. He left them there to take care of it. And he expected his servants to steward the vineyard. He didn't leave them there expecting for them to let the vineyard to dry up and not to produce anything. He didn't leave them there expecting for them to take all the profits for themselves. He left them there for a particular task to steward his vineyard. And the master then sent uh, the steward to report back to him uh, the condition, condition of the vineyard. And uh, one day, uh, my friends, we will stand before our master. One day we will stand before our Lord and we will give an account for the stewardship in which we have given for the lives that he's blessed us with and what he's given us as well. We will never regret living a life that is fruitful for our Lord. We will never find someone that has lived their life dedicated to the Lord on their deathbed and you say, hey, can I ask you if you have any regrets? You'll never find one that says, well, I just regret I spent so much time serving God. You'll never find one doing that. Because God's blessings are greater than anything we could ever imagine. And God's, what God has planned for us is better than anything we could plan for ourselves. And so just as God expected faithfulness from the children of Israel, He also expects faithfulness from us today as well. As Bill Peel said, put it this way, Owners have rights, stewards have responsibility. And we are stewards, my friends, and we have a responsibility to steward our lives and the blessings in which God has given us correctly. 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 says, Moreover, it is required of, in stewards that a man be found faithful. Luke 16 and 2 says, And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. And so, my friends, as we consider the parable that Jesus has given to the children of Israel, to those in the temple to the, on that day, we realize that God is explaining, the Lord is explaining, as Jesus is using this, prince, this parable, that the love of God had already been revealed. His blessings, His goodness, the fact that He provided for them, that He'd given them promises, that He'd led them uh, from the time that they brought, were brought out of, in the Exodus all the way uh, through the Red Sea and all the way through the wilderness and all the way through the times of the kings and all the way through the times of the priests and through the prophets as well and up to this point in providing the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. He had provided for them and His, his love had been revealed over and over and over and it was in physical form in, for, in front of them that day. But my friends, not only do we see the love of God revealed, but this, this evening we also see the love of God rejected. 
as we continue on to read in verse number 10, the Bible says, And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be uh, they will reverence him when they see him. And when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What, therefore, shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? See, after being away for some time, the the, uh, master of the vineyard, he sends a servant to get a report to be able to bring uh, back some of the fruit from the labors that had been accomplished during that time as well. And as we just read there, particularly in verses 10 through 12, there's a crescendo, crescendo of abuse that takes place. He sends one servant after another, and the first servant is beaten. Then a second servant is sent, and they're, sent and they're beaten, and also, the Bible says, shamefully entreated. Then the third servant is sent, and uh, on top of that, he's wounded and cast out. And uh, this, the treatment that these servants are receiving in the parable They are mirrors of the treatment in which the prophets of Israel had experienced over time as well. In fact, when God sent his messengers uh, with the message of deliverance to his people, uh, almost every single time it was rejected in some form or fashion. In fact, Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, instead of being grateful for their blessings and joyfully giving the Lord his due, the nation proceeded to rob God and reject his messengers. God was patient and sent them one servant after another, but they refused to obey. Finally, he sent his beloved son and they killed him. In this story, Jesus gave his own death announcement. And so as we consider the love of God rejected, we see that they not only uh, rejected his love, but they rejected it specifically by rejecting the prophets. That's what we're reading there in verses 10 through 12. As I mentioned, virtually every Old Testament prophet was rejected by the people that they brought their message to. They murmured against Moses, right? Here they are walking through the wilderness. God's done great things for them. He's brought them out of Egypt through 10 plagues, right? We know the story, right? Now, even our children here this, morning, this evening, they hear the story in the, uh, in the Sunday school classes that they go through, and, and uh, God does one thing after another and brings one plague after another in His almighty hand. Uh, Brother Chris, aren't you teaching through that, I think, in junior church even? And my kids were telling me that the other day. And, and so they're, they are, they, they're, He's sending these things uh, against Egypt, and they're re- directed directly to the false gods that the Egyptians were worshiping and, and, and uplifting as well to show his power, that he is the one true God, and that the ones they're worshiping are nothing, that they're false and fake, and he's delivering them through great power. He brings them out of Egypt, and they walk out with the spoils of Egypt even, right? Like, here's a nation that was nobody. For 400 years, they were servants, they were slaves, they had nothing of their own, and they walk out of Egypt like rich people. And they start out, into the, uh, out to uh, where God is going to uh, bring them to a land that he's promised. And the first obstacle they face is the Red Sea. And they're like, oh my goodness, Moses, you brought us out here and we're going to die out here in the desert because there's no place to go. There's mountains on either side, the, 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 the seas in front of us and the armies behind us. There's no place to go. I can't believe you would bring us out here. And God said, behold the salvation of the Lord. 
And he lifted up his hands, right? Moses did with the staff and the Red Sea parted. And they walked across the sea, a bank there, the, the, the ground on dry ground. Amen. It's funny how people try to think of ways that, and try to, to uh, logic how it worked. I've heard extreme things as much as a UFO came down. <laughs> And its exhaust blew the seas away and dried the land up. Like, why, why can't we just accept that God did it? Right? But God opened up the sea and they walked across on dry ground. And as Pharaoh's armies tried to follow after, he closed the seas up and kept them safe. And then they're on the other side of the bank of the sea and they're rejoicing. They're singing praises to God. And the next thing you know, oh, I'm a little thirsty. Oh, we're out here in the wretched wilderness. There's no, I can't believe we're out here just to die. I wish we were back in Egypt where there was the leeks and the garlic and at least we had somebody to feed us. It might have only been like once a day and a handful of something once a day, but at least we had, and they're complaining and murmuring against Moses. And in fact, Moses gets so frustrated. He's like, God, why don't you just destroy these people? And God says, no, we must be merciful. And then God gets, gets angry at the people and says, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth and says, and then Moses says, no, we got to keep them safe. We got to keep you. It's like back and forth. And it's just, it's a crazy scenario, a crazy situation, but God leads them all the way, and he takes care of them miraculously. Water from rocks, bitter water turned to where it could be drank. Uh, they're walking through there, and uh, the, the soles of their shoes, they never tear up, tear up. I don't know how many pairs of shoes I've owned in my lifetime, and I'm not 40 years old yet, right? But that for 40 years, they would walk in the wilderness and never, have, never lose a shoe. Parents, listen. <laughs> Hello. That's a miracle in and of itself that the children of Israel, the literal children, like five years old, didn't misplace their shoes someplace, right? But God provided. He took care of them. He, 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 he miraculously, and they've seen this time after time again, and they get to, to the promised land. Uh, and you were talking about this last Sunday night, right? Like 10 were bad, two were good, the, 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 the spies... Like, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't accept that God was with them, and they murmured against Moses. Time after time, Moses said, God's for you, and they murmured against him. Jezebel tried to kill Elijah, right? No one listened to Jeremiah. Man, the time that Jeremiah served the Lord and, and just continued to preach the message, and no one would listen, it finally led to his imprisonment. Though specifically, it's not even mentioned in the scriptures, um, Jewish literature records that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Michael, and Amos had all been martyred for their work of the Lord. In fact, Nehemiah 9 and 26 says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Jeremiah 7 verses 25 through 26 says, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear. But hardened their necks, they did worse 
than their fathers. Jeremiah 25 verse 4 says, and the, Lord said, and the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. In Luke chapter 11 verses 49 through 51, it says, therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them shall slay and they shall slay and persecute that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Hebrews 11 verses 36 to 38 says in another, and others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover the bonds of moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder, uh, were tempted and slain with the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These are the people that God sent to deliver his message. And that's how his people treated them. See, they rejected the love of God because they rejected the prophets. But the ultimate display of God's love, his son, Jesus Christ, they rejected him as well. And the parable prophesies of that. Verse number 13, then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? My first servant was beaten. A second one was beaten, shamefully and treated. The third one was wounded and cast out. What am I going to do? How am I going to remedy this? What shall I do? And he says, I'll send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. I know what I'll do. I'll send my son, my own blood, and when they see him, they'll reverence him. That word reverence means to, uh, to turn about, to, to like bring an about face, to uh, bring to attention, right? To reverence. And he says, man, I, I'll send my own son, and maybe when they see him, they'll reverence him. But in the parable, the Lord taught that if his son came, that maybe they just change their mind and maybe out of respect for their Lord because he's family, because he's blood, that they'll, they'll do what is right. The husbandmen thought that after they killed, though, their, the heir, that all of the roadblocks that were stopping them from inheriting the things that they were reaping to be their own would, would be out of the way and be removed. As Jesus, we have already studied, was baptized in the Jordan, um, the Son of God, would be offered for Israel's behalf. He'd be offered for mankind, mankind's behalf. And evil man, men rejected him. And they took him outside the vineyard, if you may. Because the Bible tells us that the crucifixion took, took place outside the city of Jerusalem. And they killed him, as had been foretold before, and as Jesus is foretelling here as well. And Luke 3 and 22 says, And the Holy Ghost ascending in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Jesus is foretelling his own death here and his own crucifixion and what's going to take place. See, my friends, Jesus came unto his own, and the Bible says his own received him not. In fact, the Bible says, in John 1, 11, exactly that. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Isaiah 53, in verse number 3, says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was rejected by his own. 
He was falsely accused also. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verses 55 through 56, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. We find that he suffered outside the camp as we discussed. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. See, in the time of the Old Testament, the unclean, were forced, the unclean were forced to stay with outside the camp. They were forced to stay out and remain outside uh, from around everyone else. And Jesus took upon himself the curse of sin. And just like the unclean was forced outside the camp, he was forced outside the camp for our behalf. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. See, his love was revealed and his love is on display. But unfortunately, even in that day, his love was rejected. And greater still even, unfortunately, his love has continued to be rejected today. But lastly, this evening, before we close, we not only see the love of God revealed, the love of God rejected, but thirdly, notice with me, the love of God returned. In verses 16 down through verse number 18, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Verse number 18, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus is now transitioning from a parable to actually prophecy, if you may prophesying his own second coming, which is uh, the most anticipated event in all of human history. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. See, the return of God's love is a predicted return as we read there in verse number 16 says that, uh, what shall I do? I'll send my son. Well, they t- sent a son, and his son was killed, and, and uh, they would not accept him either. And so now the, the, uh, the master's going to come, and he's going to destroy the evil, and he's going to bring his, give his vineyard, it says, to others. In the parable, the Lord returns and he destroys all those. And as I said, he gives it to others. And this corresponds to the second coming of Christ when he will rule the earth in perfect judgment. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It was a predicted return. It is also a prophesied judgment as we read there in verses 16 and 18. The rejected stone will become the cornerstone as we read there in verse number 17. The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Israel rejected the stone and now would have to face the judgment for it. And my friends, anyone who rejects the, the name of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, is going to have to face the judgment to come after because of it. It is not because the Lord hates us. In fact, He loves us. He gave His only begotten Son because of that. But our God in His love is also a perfect and just God. And because of our sin, 
We deserve that penalty. We deserve that punishment. And the stone rejected becomes the head of the church, which will replace Israel as Israel is set outside until the end times. And we find that uh, he is now, instead of using Israel to be the main message or the main ones to proclaim his message, he's working through the church in this age, even as we've been discussing on Wednesday nights through the book of Revelation. And he's still got a plan for Israel in the end. But my friends, he's chosen to give the opportunity and to move and work through others at this time as well. Warren Wiersbe again said in the Old Testament, the stone is a familiar symbol of God and of the promised Messiah. In uh, Psalm 118 and 22, it says, the stone which the builders refused has become the head stone of the corner. Isaiah 8 in verse number 14, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of a stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for, a, uh, for again and for a snare uh, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Again, Wiersbe says in his uh, exposition of the New Testament, he says, because the Jews did not believe, they stumbled over him and were judged. See, those who trust Jesus Christ find in him a firm foundation. We sing that song, uh, How Firm a Foundation. He's the chief cornerstone of the church, as we've been discussing even on Sunday mornings through our messages as well. And 1 Peter 2 and verses 6 through 8 says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Uh, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. My friends, this stone that is rejected, this Lord Jesus Christ, he will be the ultimate judge. In verse number 18, whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but unto whomsoever it shall fall, that will grind him to powder. In, in uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 34, it says, Thou sawest till the stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Daniel's prophecy there as he's in Daniel chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar had had that dream and he saw the, the statue as we discussed in our studies through that as well. Uh, each segment of that statue representing a different kingdom, a different time throughout, uh, throughout history and the age of the Gentiles, and starting with Babylon, then going there to the Medes and the Persians, there with the chest region, and then the mid to thigh area of the, uh, of, uh, the Greek empire, and then finally the uh, imperial democratic alliances as we imperialistic alliances as we discussed on uh, in our studies through Daniel and Revelation already and and uh, but in the end the bible says a stone that was not cut out with hands a stone of its own right not any not created of its own it fell from heaven struck at it at the rock and destroyed the, at the feet and destroyed the whole thing and it's speaking of Christ and and he will be the one that will judge and rule over all uh, John Walvert, uh, uh, in his studies of Revelation, wrote this. He said, The Word of God makes plain that God so loved the world that He gave His Son, and that all who avail themselves of the grace of God are immeasurably blessed in time and eternity. On the other hand, the same Word of God states plainly that those who spurn God's mercy must experience His judgment without mercy. 
How foolish it is to rest in the portions of the word of God that speak of, his love, uh, uh, speak of the love of God and reject the portions that deal with his righteous judgment. That's just lying to oneself, isn't it? That's just saying, well, I like the good, these, these parts and I'm going to just throw away the, 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 uh, the rest of it. Shortly after his inauguration as president of the United States, Ronald Reagan he was kind of astounded by the, what was taking place in the Middle East. Israel, on its thin strip of land, was surrounded by a well-armed Arab enemies who were uh, spirited, uh, splintered, I'm sorry, like broken glass into countless fractions and divisions impossible to reconcile. And on Friday, May 15th of 1981... Reagan, as he's scribbling in his diary, uh, noted the, uh, the problems involving Lebanon, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and the Soviet Union and Israel, and he wrote these words, sometimes I wonder if we are destined to witness Armageddon. Well, the Bible's already declared it, my friends. And the, what God has already said is going to come to pass. He's revealed his love through the prophets. He's revealed his love through his son. Israel had rejected, in many cases had rejected him. And unfortunately, in our day to day, many still reject him. When we go door to door, knock on a door, sometimes we'll, the first thing that's said as they open the door, don't want any. They don't even know what we're there for, but don't want any of it. And they're cordial or kind sometimes until we say we're from the church. And then they definitely don't want any of it. And my friends, we can, we can believe and live as if nothing is the matter, if there's no future, if there's no eternity that hangs in the balance, but we're just kidding ourselves because the love of God has been revealed. And unfortunately, some have rejected it, but it is, He is returning and He is going to Bring the blessings to those who have received him, and judgment will come to those who have rejected him. In verse number 19, Luke records that the Pharisees, they didn't heed the message. They understood the message. They, they totally understood it. Because notice, notice back with me there in verse number 16. He's given the message. He's declared the, the, the parable of the vineyard and the master and the husbandmen and the, the servants that came and got beaten, all that type of thing, his son being put to death and all those things. In verse number 16, because of the events that unfolded, the master's response then was to come and to wipe out the, the evil uh, husbandmen that, were, that had been working for him. And it says that he's going to give the vineyard, it says, to others. And what was the response of those who he was speaking to in the latter part of verse number 16? Oh, God forbid, because they, they totally understood what he was talking about. They understood that the vineyard was Israel. They understood that the blessings was God's covenant with them. And they totally understood that because of the rejection and disobedience to what the master had left for them, he said, I'm going to turn around and give my blessings to someone else. And they said, oh, no, we want the blessings. We don't, just don't want to do what is required to receive them. We want the blessings. They understood exactly what he was speaking, but they refused to accept the message. They retained their hard hearts, the Bible says. There in verse number 19, the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they fe but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable, what? Against them. They, they totally got it, but they were unwilling to accept it. And the world has a long history of rejecting God. 
The world has a long history of saying, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not accepting it. But Jesus is the stone that is coming one day, and he's going to judge righteously. Righteousness is simply his perfection, and he's going to judge perfectly. His love was revealed then. His love is revealed now. But unfortunately, just as then, it's still being rejected by many. One more time, Wiersbe said this. In this parable, Jesus illustrated the insidious nature of sin. The more we sin, the worse it becomes. It is a serious thing to reject the message of God and the messengers of God. In Acts 4, verses 11 through 12, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none, uh, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. As William Barclay put it, the best way to prepare for the coming of Christ is to never forget the presence of Christ. Never forget what he's done. Never forget that he has shared his love. Now, I'm on a, here on a Sunday night, and I know that you're, most of you are here for a second time on a Sunday. And, but we, we, we understand how God has been so gracious and how God has given his love. I sometimes think that we are guilty of taking it for granted. Sometimes think that we just go through the motions and we forget how good and gracious God has been. And as one that has been given the blessings and the grace of God, he has some expectations for us as stewards of the blessings that he pours out upon us. Would we be right stewards of what God has provided for us? Maybe there is someone here. And maybe, for whatever reason, you've been able to come to this church or be, hear, this, hear a message of God's love and grace over and over again, and somehow you've continued to reject it. Would you not reject it tonight? Would you receive his love? And let us all remember that he's coming again. And the best way to be prepared for his coming is to never forget his presence. Could you stand to your feet with me, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed here tonight. In just a moment, the piano is going to begin to play. and We're going to have an opportunity for an invitation. Before we do that, I want to ask just a simple set of questions. The first being this, how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved and I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die tonight, that I know 100% sure that I'd spend eternity with my Savior. Heaven is my home. I've been born again. There's no doubt about that. Could I rejoice with you? Would you just slip your hand up and write back down as the testimony of that? I know that I'm saved, and I know that heaven's my home. There's hands all across this auditorium. I praise God for that. I'm glad to be in the presence of other believers tonight. But I wonder if there'd be anyone here that as we've discussed the fact that Jesus has clearly revealed his love, he's given us his word. In times past, he's given, us, given the prophets and, and the priests of the Old Testament. He's given preachers and witnesses of the world today. He gave his greatest revelation of his love in the fact that he came and died for us. But maybe you're here tonight and you're not 100% sure that heaven's your home. And you're not sure that you've ever been born again. You don't know that Jesus is your personal Savior. I wouldn't want to embarrass you or call you out or anything like that. But I would like the opportunity to just simply pray with you. Pray for you that the Lord would give you the faith to be able to trust him and that you would recognize your great need of him tonight. And so if you're here this evening and you just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven's my home. I don't know that I've ever been born again. 
Could I just simply pray for you? And would you slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony of that? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Thank you. One last question. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. All those things are covered. I got that settled for sure. Who here would say, Pastor, as, as I go through life, I need, I need the reminder that he is returning. And I need the reminder that he's been so good to me that he's worth my service. He's worth my life being given to him. He's worth uh, being faithful and committed to his will and to his way. Who would say, Pastor, just pray with me that as I anticipate his return, that I be prepared for his coming by always remembering that he's ever present with me now. Could I simply pray with you also? Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to begin to play, uh, pray, and then the piano is going to begin to, begin to play. And when the piano begins to play, if the Lord spoke into your heart and you'd like to come down to the front here at the altar, you're welcome to do so. Maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord as he's spoken to your heart already. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Could I invite you to maybe slip right down here, sit down on the front row, get my attention, and let me have someone take the Word of God and show you from His Word how you could know for sure that heaven's your home, how you could know that Jesus is your personal Savior. Not how out in Vista Baptist said so, or how this denomination or this church, but God's Word, how it clearly states how we could know that we would have a home in heaven for all of eternity. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I, want, I would love the opportunity to have someone to show you how you could know for sure. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your message and for your word. Lord, I ask now that you would just be unglorified through this invitation and your will accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.